Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, it's Sunday morning and time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, we have to say a very good morning to Penny Woodward. Morning, Penny. Good morning, Pam. Morning, listeners. And wasn't it wonderful, the sky this morning? I just, <laughs> getting up really early, it was so dark and there was the sky was so full of stars. Yes. So you almost don't mind getting up into the cold. <laughs> <and> the <laughs> When you can, when you've got that to look at, so we've had very, very dense fog the last couple of mornings. So it was great to be able to actually, actually see, see the sky. Yes, yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah, but, but no, it's been, it's been, well, interesting times. We have had a little bit of rain, which has been good, but um, yeah, still done, not much. Yeah, we've done pretty well down our way. Have you? So I suspect it's coming along the coast and not going very far inland. Yes, so, I yes. think you're right there. And I think New South Wales is in a pretty terrible state with the with their problems with lack of water and high temperatures. And, mm. you know, there's all sorts of strange things happening. So I think we're doing better than some parts of Australia. Certainly are. Yes, yeah. I think some of the uh, poor old farmers are really mm. struggling at the moment. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. yeah, what do you do? Well, you cope as best you can, which exactly. farmers have done for a long time. Exactly, yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I just so admire someone trying to live off the mm. land like that and... Yes. They have so many obstacles to overcome. And it, it's interesting, and Millie, oh, sorry. It's Millie's <laughs> <laughs> morning, Millie Ross. Good morning, yes. But, it, but is, I, it is a big, sorry, big issue to talk about. Yeah, Go. but I was just, in talking to farmers, the thing that they keep saying over and over again is that suddenly the weather is unpredictable. So whether it's hotter or colder, it's they can no longer say that, you know, we're going to have three or four settled days or two weeks of settled weather Um out of the blue, something will change, something new will happen. And, and where they used to be able to, you know, you'd get a couple of days' warning, they now get two hours' warning yes. of a downpour or, a, you know, something un- mm. unexpected. Mm. So it seems to be the unpredictability that is the major problem. And it's the same with gardeners. You know, you've got to be, you've got to be prepared for things to go very wrong mm. very quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think certainly drought in in parts of New South Wales and Queensland is, you know, it's it's devastating. And it's not just making a living off the land, it's actually trying to grow food for everyone else yep. as well, which is yep. the the real compromise. So they're, you know, they're in this position where they're, they're working a large piece of land that is, is absolutely failing at the moment. Mm. The climate mm. is failing them. And, um, you know, our demands continue to be enormous yep. um, as consumers and um, the demands on the land. So, yeah, I mean, what do you do is, I guess, you try and make good choices about what you can consume in your own life. And, and that does actually have a knock-on effect mm. um, if you're trying to choose you know, products or, or foods that are, are, are well-grown but also, you know, perhaps locally available or... or uh, I know you can buy some bales of hay to feed bloody animals at the moment. I mean, that's yep. the sort of stuff you can do. Yes. Um, but, um, yeah, look, it is, it's a, it is an unpredictable... Gardening is always, you know, in response to the weather and in response mm. to what's happening day to day and, and people know that, you know, seasons change by, by their own accord, not by the calendar day. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, but certainly... I mean, in a home garden, we can cope. I mean, if, if something fails, it doesn't really 
totally affect our livelihood. Oh, we just go to the shops. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. I know. And and assume that the farmers manage to get enough product yeah, there absolutely. for us. But but you know, for them it's it is their whole livelihood. And I know I know many of them at the moment in, in certain parts of Australia are really rethinking what crops they sow. They're changing their crops. They're trying to adapt to um well, lack of water, um, amongst other things, and, uh, and climate, of course. Well, there was that fantastic modelling that happened for City of Melbourne, I think, mm. earlier this year or late last year, which was talking about the tree species that perhaps will survive best in the in the next hundred years. You know, mm. we've been famed for our beautiful old elms and and, and yeah. those sorts of things, but and that was very much based on looking at other climate zones where we think we're heading. And I, I guess farmers would be doing similar things and and looking at crops. That perhaps I mean I saw this you know plastic free July war on waste is happening and people are probably mm. aware of that peripherally even if if they haven't seen it and I saw a fantastic little video the other day um, just going through the options for if you're not going to use a single use plastic bag what are your options so you've got your heavy duty and they went through the manufacturing of that um, that you need to use that at least four times before it's more useful than a single use because of its manufacture then stepping into things even as simple as a cotton bag which is great you know I know in my mm. local community house. Um, I got given this this great hand-sewn bag with all of these little mesh bags for doing my fruit and veg in, but cotton is a a huge consumer of water. So to grow it, and and actually it went through all of the different options and it came down to that the jute bag Mm -hmm. is actually the best, the old hessian bag, but careful it's not plastic lined because jute itself is a really efficient crop to grow and even though we don't really grow much of it in Australia, it's a a low user of water, you get a great return on it um, for that investment of of Mm. resources and I thought Mm. it was such a simple thing to you know, we, we have this issue that is on our on our tables at the moment talking about single-use plastic, but it does actually roll out, of course, to plants. Everything leads yep. to plants, as we know. Mm. Um, and, and to think of it in, in those terms that you can't just think, well, that's a good solution because I can reuse it. It's mm. got to think how it's made. Exactly, exactly. And, of course... I mean, it sounds all very well doing single-use, doing away with single-use plastic bags, but you've only got to look at the packaging, and that's mm. it's an absolute nightmare. Yeah, it needs to go. It's got to go. It's a, look, really it's got a to good, go along. It's a good first step, and I'm very pleased to hear about jute because I've been using jute bags for about ten years. Yeah, they're fantastic. So it's such a great fibre. I've used, and then when when they fall apart, literally, I put, put them in, in the compost. compost. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, and I and I don't understand why everyone. Have you grown jute? It. You can eat jute. I haven't, it's a yeah, good edible green. I've yeah. got seed and I've never yeah. sown it. I just, you know, it's the sort of thing. I picked it up at, it's a fantastic nursery in the west of Sydney, Canley Vale Nursery, that's um, run by a, 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 you know, a great um, young Vietnamese gardener. And uh, and he has imported all of these different seeds himself. So his his variety of dill is, you know, he's spot on. I don't know if he still can with the, the now um, yeah. stricter regulations on some of those crops. But um, I picked up his jute years ago and I've been meaning to okay. sow it and have a go. Don't know if I'll get enough for a bag, but I'll eat it as a vegetable until uh, until <laughs> we get to the harvest end. <laughs> <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's, for me, it's just always. When I see something like that, I think, oh, gosh, that's, that's what that is. That's, that's that plant that is this fibre mm. that we see mm. all the time. And, mm. and so and we were actually we were just talking about it yesterday, having a, having a miso soup and, you know, with beautiful poached eggs for breakfast and sprinkling on the sesame seeds. And I thought, I've seen sesame growing in Laos, and I'm not really in a sesame-growing climate. No. But... For me, I quite like to germinate some seeds and watch mm. a plant grow anyway, mm. just to see it and and see 
you know, how much it produces and, mm. and, and what its form is and, and what happens with that plant that, that I'm so familiar with in its other forms, as in the mm. ones I buy or eat. Mm. Um, but, but actually to see them grow is, is, is really interesting to me, just to, to look at the secrets of those really humble, you know, utilitarian plants that are grown mm. all around the world en masse, but we never see them. Fantastic. Okay, I must get to a few community announcements. Uh, there are still things taking place at the moment, so um, we'll hop to it. Um, firstly, coming up 21st, 22nd of July, um, there's a m- very large bonsai exhibition. Um, this is taking place uh, in Preston. It's at the Mantra Bell City, which is at 215 Bell Street in Preston. As I mentioned, 21st and 22nd of July, 10 a.m. through to 4 p.m. Uh, entry is adults uh, $5, children under 15 are free with an adult. And uh, as I say, there's going to be uh, specialty bonsai, there'll be vendor sales areas and, of course, a magnificent display of bonsai as well. And it's all taking place in conjunction with the 31st AABC National Bonsai Convention. So uh, 21st, 22nd of July for that one. Now, also um, that same weekend, 21st, 22nd, um, there'll be a big plant sale uh, run by the um, Growing Friends of uh, Cranbourne of Royal Botanic Gardens. Uh, now, this is running 10 till 4 on both days. The location, of course, is down at the gardens at Cranbourne there, which is corner of Bellato Road and Botanic Drive in Cranbourne. There'll be a wide range of Australian plants in tubes and larger pots for sale, um, priced from $3.00. Uh, it's a great opportunity to purchase some plants and then have a look around the Australian garden. Uh, now, as I've been mentioning for the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, Friends of Burnley Gardens have got a special screening taking place on Saturday, 21st of July. Uh, this is the screening of Five Seasons, the Gardens of Piet Udolf, uh, and uh, it's happening from 3.30 through till 6 o'clock down at Burnley Gardens. Afternoon tea will be served at 3.30 with the film screening at 4.15. This will then be followed by a panel discussion chaired by John Rayner with landscape designers Andrew Laidlaw, Michael McCoy and Sandra McMahon. Now, ticket price is $30 uh, to book. You follow, um, uh, you go to try booking. Uh, bookings do close Wednesday the 18th of July so you do need to uh, get to it if you'd like to go and uh, see that film Uh, it'll take place down in the main hall at Burnley Campus which of course is at 500 Yarra Boulevard there in Richmond Um, and for more information you can go to the Friends website which is www.fobg.org.au now um Also coming up on Saturday, the 21st of July, that's going to be a very busy day by the look of it, Uh, Open Gardens Victoria um, are having a winter gardening workshop in July. Uh, Now this is taking place at the beautiful property Chesterfield, which is in Geelong, and it's being held by Stephen Reid. Now Stephen will show home gardeners how to get their gardens ready for spring with practical demonstrations of rose and fruit tree pruning and how to cut back and divide perennials and ornamental grasses. There'll be a morning and an afternoon session available. 
and it will include light refreshments and a guided tour of the one-acre gardens surrounding Chesterfield, um, which is one of Geelong's oldest surviving Georgian homes built in the late 1840s. Now, in recent years, Stephen has led the refurbishment of the historic garden there, uh, so uh, he'll be more than adequate to uh, show you around and point out the various features of the garden. Now, the morning session will take place 9.30 till 12. The afternoon session, 1 till 3.30. They all take place, as I said, at Chesterfield, which is a 221 Noble Street in Newtown, which is a suburb of Geelong. Tickets are $35, which includes workshop, the notes, morning or afternoon tea and the garden tour. And uh, if you book, you go online at opengardensvictoria.org.au and that booking is via Try Booking. So uh, bookings, as I say, um, go to opengardensvictoria.org.au and select either the morning or the afternoon session for that one. Uh, now, just a couple more events I should mention. Uh, Werribee, Werribee Park Heritage Orchard have got their winter grafting and tree sales day coming up. This will be held on Sunday, July the 29th, 10am through to 3pm. It's free entry for this one. There'll be food and drink available. You can watch grafting demonstrations, which will uh, be ongoing throughout the day. Uh, you can learn techniques uh, for grafting and budding fruit trees. You can have new trees grafted or budded for you. Um, there'll be a choice um, between apples, pears, peaches, plums, citrus, uh, subject to availability. You can buy a one-year-old grafted heritage fruit tree when available. You can buy um, fruit tree scion wood for home grafting. Talk to experts in gardening and fruit growing. Uh, select suitable rootstock. There will also be some uh, rare and unusual edible plants for sale and fruit tastings. And uh, subject to availability, there will be pruning demonstrations, orchard tours and edible weed walks. So it's all taking place down at Werribee Park Heritage Orchard. That's uh, You follow K Road down at Werribee and uh, you enter via Gate 5, follow the signs to the Grafting Day Visitors Car Park and take a short walk to the old stables there. Uh, now, the others aren't coming up until August, so I might leave those for a bit later. Uh, but uh, as I mentioned, we've got uh, Penny Woodward and Millie Ross in the studio this morning, so we will open our lines for talkback. If you'd like to ask a gardening question this morning um, or make a comment, do give us a call. The number is 94190155. Millie, before we uh, go to any of the plants or anything you've brought in, we should mention that um, it's coming up quite close now. You're off to look at uh, uh, gardens in uh, both Italy and France. Yes, absolutely. So end of, end of September, I think we leave on the 29th. So, um, yeah, a few people have jumped on just in the last week, I think. Um, so I guess people look at the rest of their year, they get quite close and go, yes, we can or, or no, we can't. Right. But um, there's still space for a couple of people on the bus. Um, we are, yeah, having, having about, it's just over three weeks, I think, um, uh, all over. So flying into Milan and then heading up to the, the Lakes District around Como. 
Nanaimo and it's so stunning. Yeah, really. I know everyone keeps saying to me, "Oh, it's my favourite place in the world." I'm like, great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, look, it will be really, really great fun, and um, and uh, you know, we cover quite a bit of territory. There's, you know, from from that area, we head sort of right down into Provence and uh, um, in, sorry, down to. Uh, I forget the name of the little village because I haven't got it in front of me, but just south of um, of uh, Florence and spend sort of four days down in, in that region and right across through the coastal areas and looking at Cinque Terre and um, all of those beautiful little fishing villages there and then over into France. So um, quite a bit of territory, but, you know, comfortable coach and we spend sort of three or four nights in each place mm, and then radiate from there. Yeah. So there's not a pack your bags every night sort of tour. Yes. Um, and, you know, I really like... Like when they first asked me to do a trip in this area, they actually asked me to do a cruise, and I said no, um, because I like to be there at night. I think you know the evening stroll to find something to eat is for me. It's going to be half of half of the fun. Oh, you get to know the town. Yeah, working out where we're going to eat yes. and what we're going to eat, and um, and being there for a few nights, we might find somewhere that we have to. You know, the debate of do we go back there or do we go somewhere, somewhere new? else? <laughs> yeah. So, um, look, it will be absolutely ripper fun, and um, you know just. Just a really lovely way um, to spend time in gardens with other people thinking mm. about gardens. And, you know, I just think it's so lovely to have other people asking questions and, you know, noticing different things. It was one thing that um, we did a lot on the on the tour in WA was, so at the end of the day, talk about the things that people liked or the things that they really noticed or what they really um, enjoyed. And it was always so interesting to see what people are looking at in, in different gardens. So, yeah, so yep. certainly some gardens that I know you've, Adored Pam, absolutely, and you you think about every day. Yeah, really, definitely, definitely. Where was some you? of them are absolutely amazing. Um, oh gosh, there's so many. I'm, I'm I'm noticing that you're going to Villa Carlotta, which is um, oh, it's got one of the most because you get to see inside the villa as well a yes. little bit. Um, some of the some of the oh, I've got photos of some of the. Um, the statues inside, the and they're yes. just they're just stunning. I think Villa, too, just like Albionello, another one which is just stunning. You're going, um, you're going on to, um, oh look. You will love Cinque Terre. I think I will. I mean, I'm a fisherman's daughter, so yeah. it's, you know, for me to see... Um, I mean, that is so amazing. No cars are allowed. It's fantastic. Um, World, so you're World going Heri- on a little you know, train. UNESCO World Heritage yes. for, its, for its unique um, uniqueness, I guess, is, and, uh, you know, gorgeous little buildings built on a, on a cliff, and no doubt there'll be a pot plant in it on each of those. I'm sure. Uh, I'm and, sure. Uh, you know, lots to learn for those of us uh, gardening in particularly harsh conditions. But, look, I think it's, it is amazing because we're Covering such climatic differences as well, you know, up in that, you are. that lakes district is such a unique growing climate um, and allowed people to grow things that really shouldn't grow there mm. and, then, and then coming down, um, you know, into, into different areas. So it's, um, and then we end up at Avignon, um, you know, in, in, in France, you know, for those who are interested in irrigation, uh, one of the world's oldest, <laughs> uh, you know, sort of water services. So look, it's just going to be a, a lovely trip and um, if anyone has ever thought about doing it, just come with. It's going to be ripper fun. Um, and, you know, you you would have experienced this when, you know, lots of 3CR listeners last last trip to WA and it's just, you know, I, I, I don't want to stick my head out and say this, but it's really nice people that want to come. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I these agree. Are, you know, you've got gardeners, so gardeners are nice people anyway. Yep, uh, yep. And then you've got, you know, gardeners who want to come on a trip with, with a bunch of other rat bags. Um, we'll eat a lot of ice cream. We will have <laughs> a lot of fun. I will try and find every gardening joke that uh, exists on the 
face of this earth to tell in the mornings on the bus. Um, but look, I am absolutely looking forward to it. Just a warning, they didn't dance on the Bridge of Avignon. They danced on an island underneath it. Oh, okay. So well, you know, if people want to dance that, on the bridge, that, that's fine A little with me. word got twisted in the song, and so it's been translated very, very poorly over the last... So a lot of people dance on that bridge who are really just massacring history. Yeah, and don't forget you can fall off the end now because it doesn't go right across. <laughs> we'll be right, we'll be right. But yep. um, any, I'll allow dancing on the bridge at Avignon. Okay. But, we, uh, sh- we should actually mention too that the tour of Millie includes um, accommodation, all your guided sightseeing um, and tours and some meals as well. So, so there's a, yeah, there's a welcome dinner and a farewell dinner and a few other bits and pieces in between. Yes. Um, but yeah, you know, you're absolutely up to, you can wander off and have do your own thing at night um, or there's quite a few sort of moments where we get to a new place say we get to Nice or um, uh, you know somewhere new where you actually have time to just have a bit of an explore free time and you know in my experience um, the the tour manager and myself will have a bit of an idea of what what I might be interested in doing you know usually I'll be interested in you know I'm a bit of a kelpie I um, if there's somewhere to swim, I'll do that. Um, but uh, also just going out and having a look, so you can always come come with us or um, or, or do your own thing. So, look, um, it's a good group. I think we're going to have about 20 people. So there's always enough That's people. That's just a to, nice number to, to to find some people that you you know want to spend quite a bit of time with, and you know I, I'm sure that um, everyone can find a fit. Um, and uh, we'll certainly do our best to, to, to work out what people need and, and what they're interested in. Mm. Um, and, you know, as I said, that's probably my favourite part is getting to know everyone mm. um, and finding out why they're there, but also what, what they bring to the group. And, um, you know, you're just as likely to have a geologist, a, you know, a botanist, a, a couple of ecologists, you know, people who have other expertise um, in, in, in different areas and, you know, artists and, and all sorts of people that, that bring a really great experience to travel, I guess, sure. having, a, having a group like that. Yep. So if people want to get in touch, they certainly can. Pam, you're staring at the numbers, not me, but it's Travel Right International, which is Travel Right, which is spelled R-I-T-E. Um, and they're a Melbourne company, a uh, little, little, little Australian company that's been doing garden tours, I think, just about longer than anyone. Um, and uh, you can get in touch. There's two offices. You can pop in and, and see the team there or give them a ring if you don't want to get online and have a look. Well, there's also there's also a website if people want to just have a look at um, at uh, what tours they offer, travelright.com.au forward slash garden dash tours, um, all lowercase, um, and you can have a, a really close look at the... Um, if you the just search my name and garden tour, yes, it'll probably it'll come all up come too. up. And yep. we should say, um, you mentioned that uh, you head off 29th of September. It does run through until the 20th of October. So, um, yes, lots of, of um, wonderful times. Yeah, flying out of Nice. So we fly into Italy and fly out of France. And, um, yeah, all the airfares are sort of organised for you. You can leave it. I mean, you obviously could travel earlier or, or later if you wanted to spend some extra time or yes. arrive early, but yes, yes. Um, otherwise the team will organise those, those yep. flights for you as well. Okay. Come with me. It'll be fun. It'll be great It'll fun. Be You'll fun. have a ball. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Penny, you wanted to mention uh, that there's a new, um, there's a new uh, organic gardener um, publication out. Indeed. Mm. Uh, it, the new one is, they, they're doing one a year. Now, they, we got a bit, I think, overexcited and worked too hard to get um, several out each year <laughs> in the past, but they've decided on one a year. And, and the new one is all about heirlooms. So it's actually all about heirlooms and heritage 
plants and um, it's got the most amazing cover. It's just gorgeous. And I've, I've actually just sent the cover through to um, the Facebook page. Great. Um, so if people want to have a look at it, they can. Um, but it, it's of the Romanesco um, broccoli which has the most amazing Fibonacci spiral. So it, it'll it's really, wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. I love the look yeah, of them. I know, it's yeah, extraordinary. It's and it, and it, um, you know, it'll really stand out on the newsagent's shelf. So the, this, this one, um, they sell them for only ten ninety five. So we, we call them a mook, which I'm sure I've said before. <clears throat> but it's a cross between a book and a magazine. So it's a bit thicker than a magazine and it has a hard spine rather than a rounded spine, um, but it's not quite a book. And it's made up of um, old articles in the magazine as well as um, newly commissioned ones. And um, I've actually written the introduction to this one. Peter Cundall has always done it in the past, but um, Peter's retired from writing for Organic Gardener magazine. Oh, okay. So he's he's not doing it anymore. Right. Um, so they asked me to do it this time. So I found that a very scary situation proposition but um (laughs) look it's such an important topic that it actually wasn't hard to find things to write about because well it's it's close to yours and my heart i know absolutely and and, you know it's for ten thousand years humanity has been breeding plants and different different varieties and cultivars of plants that to suit certain climates and soils and um to uh, you know thousands and thousands and thousands of them and in the last, and most of those um, different varieties were still available at the beginning of the 20th century. Since then, we've lost 90% of them. Yes. And what's left, most of the, see, with the amalgamations that are happening at the moment, um, most of something like 80, 85% of all the seeds in the world are going to be owned by three multinational companies. In, in a fairly short time because Monsanto's just been taken over mm. um, by, uh, no, can't remember the name, but, but what, another multinational company that owns a whole lot of um, chemicals and various other things. So we need to protect that other 10%. And, and is it Bayer? Yeah, it is Bayer. Yeah, yeah you're right. Um, so we need to protect that other 10% that's left. Um, we need to protect that, that diversity because if we don't have diversity, we don't have any way of coming back if there's catastrophes. So exactly. So they use the, the people, even the people who are developing the F1 hybrids that we can't grow our own seed from, if, when something goes wrong, they go back to these original species and cultivars um, to rebreed in toughness to, mm. to mm. the plants. And if we lose those, we lose we lose everything. We lose our ability to feed the world. Exactly. So, and the only way that these these heritage trees and these seeds are now being um, saved is by people like you and me saving them, by some of the organisations, by some of the small seed sellers in Australia. There's a you know a handful of mm. them that fight really hard mm. to keep producing these seeds themselves rather than importing them from overseas. Well, it's um, so difficult to import them. I mean, ten years ago, I could buy seeds of most varieties, couldn't get tomatoes and a few other things like that into Australia, but I could buy beetroot, I could buy carrots, I could buy radishes, and, yep. and now the restrictions are that they cannot be brought into the country anymore yep. without chemical treatment or, yep. you know, it's, it's much a much more difficult 
yeah. proposition and, and you, know, and, you can't and just continually but, buy that seed in. But that's really important though too because we in Australia we don't have a lot of the diseases that are decimating crops exactly. overseas. So it is, uh, we're not objecting to the fact that it's hard oh, to bring no, but seeds it, in. It, it can't, it, but, it, things but have they changed. have to come up with organic ways of being able to bring them in and not so that they don't have to be sprayed. And also, you know, that it, I love when I'm reading a catalogue like the Baker Creek Heirloom Seed Catalogue in America, which is just an extraordinary thing to get your mm. hands on and read. And you see, you know, the Aussie um, yellow leaf lettuce or something mm. like that listed as an heirloom on in their catalogue, which is a, yep. a variety that may have been, you know, grown in Australia for the last 150 years and has proven as a really, really reliable performer, a great cropper. And, and then that finds its way onto other people's heirloom lists. Yes. Um, and, you know, there are heirlooms in Australia as well. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, and they're, they're really important too. But between us, you know, as a, as a world population, we need to work to, you know, to preserve, to preserve these, these, um, these seed, mm. but, but also the heritage plants. So people like Werribee are really important for the, for the, um, for the apples and pears exactly. and all that sort of thing. Exactly, exactly. And, and Ripponlea and... Um, even even on some of our roadsides, there are remnant trees of old apples and pears and a whole range of different plants that we need to preserve because mm. they hold DNA that may not be found anywhere else exactly. in Australia. Exactly. So, um, I guess my the message that I've tried to put into this introduction is that Although it's a, it's a really desperate situation, don't despair because the way that you can help is by growing heirloom seed, by supporting the small seed companies who are doing the right thing and trying to breed their own seed. And you know, the Green Patch Organic um, is doing amazing things with corn. So they have, they've been trying to preserve some of the Australian cultivars of which is hard to say because you've got to have a lot of space. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, Wind's it's pollinated. It's, yes. really, it's not a simple it's a one really to save at home. home. So, yeah. um, so we need to support these people in, in doing it. I, and I heard um, just recently that Phoenix Seats has gone out of business. Oh, so oh, gone out of business or fin- well, just they've, finished they've up? Closed. They've yeah. closed. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. for whatever reason, they're right. not doing it anymore. But I know that there are quite a few seed sellers who now that they can't import are really struggling mm. because mm. they can't necessarily <laughs> afford to pay people to produce the seed because it is such a long process. You're not mm. just mm. producing the vegetable. You're actually having to wait until it grows flowers and then produces the seed that you can collect. So mm. it's a more mm. expensive process even than growing the vegetable, and which is part of the reason why we have imported so much. So mm. it's a bit of a critical juncture, particularly in Australia. So, And certainly yeah. with the new regulations about a lot of, mm. um, a lot of the brassicas needing to be treated with a fungicide. I know there's been a lot of discussion yeah. in organic circles yeah. a- about that, that that immediately kind of negates there being an organic product, you yeah. know, that organic yeah. growers can't buy organic seed anymore because they need to yeah. be chemically treated to come into the, the country. I, I always think when I see microgreens for sale, I've got to be honest, that's a lot of seed. Yeah. <laughs> <It> <laughs> you, you let it grow, it'll be more food. <laughs> but, but, um, um, look, know. the good thing is that the Department of Agriculture has listened to the organic growers and, and they are coming up with ways that they can be brought in organically, even if it means having to grow some of them, yes. which will make to it more test expensive, the to and, test yep. them to make sure they're yep. not carrying the diseases. Yep. So, yep. Um, you know, at least they're listening. They're not mm. just putting a blanket blanket fan mm. on it but anyway look I started to talking about, the <laughs> about this that's fine guide. it's a subject just, we could yeah, you know talk on I, for ages I, it's, I, I love these essential guides they're so full of really good information there's some great stuff about corn and about 
um, we had to go through with some of the articles that we were reusing and do the research and put in more heirloom cultivars and so it was really interesting being able to find those and um, I just think if you're looking, if you're interested in heritage plants and heirloom seeds, then, then this would be a really mm. cheap and easy way of getting some really good information. Fantastic. So keep an eye out for it. In your, is in it, your is it out now? It is now. They just haven't sent me a copy yet. <laughs> 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 Which is why I'm working for my It'll iPad. sell out. It actually, yeah. these sell out very quickly every they time. Do. They so do. If yeah. you want one, I would um, scoot down to the Yeah, local news, news agent. Pick yeah. it up. Yeah. They'll yeah. stock it. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Well, I'm delighted to welcome into the studio um, Helen Lovell. Now, Helen is the Customer Relationship Manager at Neutrog Australia. And I invited Helen in this morning because, um, firstly, um, Neutrog have been um, very generous in donating product uh, for the 3CR Gardening Show, particularly for our recent uh, Gardening Show Radiothon. And um, Neutrog um, Australia have are very involved with um, quite a few community uh, projects as well, and that's that's not a side we tend to think of. We we, we talk product. Um, uh, some of our listeners will know um, some of the more well-known products like Sudden Impact for Roses, Go Go Juice, um, Bush Tucker, um, etc. But very few of you realise that the the, the company actually. Um, uh, is very involved with, with some amazing projects. Um, now, firstly, good morning, Helen. Good morning, Pam, and thank you for inviting me to um, be on your show. No, that's, that's fine. I'm really interested to hear about some of these projects. Now, firstly, we should mention Neutrog have been around for about 30 years now. We celebrated our 30th birthday last month. Wow, yes. fantastic. Okay. And your main uh, base is in Adelaide? Uh, we're at Canman too, which is about an hour and a quarter out of Adelaide. Okay, but yeah, so South well Australia. South yes. Australia, yes. Yes, okay. But you, you have an office here in Melbourne? I have an office in my front bedroom at home. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, it's a good place to be on a, a, on a cold morning. <laughs> it is a great place to be. <laughs> no, but we, our head office is in South Australia and all of the um, interstate reps, yep. we operate out of our homes and we're on the road most of the time anyway. So, I can imagine, yes. yes. Yeah, okay. Um, firstly, what really caught my eye um, is that you've been involved, I think for a few years now, with the Rare Fruit Arboretum. Yes. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes, it's very exciting. We as a business do things really quite differently and we um, a part of our culture and values is um, being as involved with our community as much as possible. And Angus, who owns the business, often says, I think you'll always give a lot of product away. <laughs> but it's part of what we do. Anyway, we develop a product for a long time before it's ever reaches the market so we're trialling it with a key group and you mentioned Sudden Impact for Roses a moment ago mm. and that was the very first time we ever did that product. It was developed with the uh, South Australian Rose Society over a three to four year period and we trial it not on what we thought a product needed but what on the experts in the Rose Society were asking for and hence that's been the model for what we do with all of our products. Okay. And we've had a relationship with the 400-odd um, members of the Rare Fruit Society of South Australia, and they were looking for a product that would um, help them increase the, the vigour of the older varieties of fruits and the unusual fruits that they're interested in, that would um, encourage a stronger root system, um, you know, better leaf development, more flowers, 
which of course would mean more fruit, but also importantly a product that would look at enhancing fruit size and quality and flavour. And that's where our product Gigantic, which is for fruit and citrus, um, was trialled. Anyway, that product was released probably four years ago, but we worked for a while with the Rare Fruit Society on, you know, establishing two rare fruit arboretums at our site at Canman too, because we have a large site there. We've got a 20 hectare site, so there's plenty of room. And a couple of years ago, um, we got to the point where the soil had been prepared with our fertiliser, of course. <laughs> You've got to try it somewhere. Yeah, you do. You do. <laughs> We'd fence the area off to keep out all of the wildlife because we are really almost out in the bush. Um, we've put down the irrigation. And then there's been planted up 150-odd species of different fruit trees that are rare and endangered. So various figs, peaches, uh, I think there's some quinces there. Um, apples, plums, pears, all of those type of things. Mm. Was this the fig collection that was... Did you relocate a fig collection from someone's garden? Or not, am I getting my woes? Not that I've heard ah, of, nearly. Okay. I, I don't know. Um, you know, I go over the, to South Australia a few times a year and you know, always go and have a look mm. around. Yes. But it's still quite in its, in its infancy. Um, but the Rare Fruit Society of South Australia, they maintain the garden. Oh, fantastic. And, uh, you know, they're a really active fruit group, aren't they? They're they of, are. They're oh, a, yes. a really active fruit group. Yeah. And it's amazing how much, you know, we talk about our seeds, how much is actually contained in people's backyards, varieties oh. that you would never see for yeah. sale on the, on the shelves. And, and when you were talking about the old varieties that you might see on the side of the road, like I live in country Victoria and that's where I grew up and I'm on the road, as I said, all the time. Mm. And I'm always one to take a shortcut. You know, a lot. Well, not so much a short cut. Long Yeah, exactly. But a different route, <laughs> so <laughs> that you know, you're conscious of the fact that you're driving all of the time. You've got to keep your wits about you, yeah. and you know, don't get into the trap of just staying on the same route. Mm. Yes. And the things that I see as I'm driving around, and and my dad, when he was alive, you know, he worked as a grader driver, and you'd go home because for many years I lived in Melbourne. Anyway, you would go home, though, and Dad would go, oh, come and have a look at this. I saw this the other day. I was on this bush track wherever. And it's just fascinating. Mm, yeah. yeah. There's, um, and I think, you know, fruit is something that is, it is a backyard thing, isn't it? It's not mm. like a, a, your seasonal annual seeds. Mm, These yeah. are varieties that might have been in a garden mm. without anyone looking at them mm. for 50 years, mm. let alone been there for 150. Yeah. And the, sad, and the sad thing is that quite often they get bulldozed mm. before we even know that they're there because of development and, mm. you know, putting plates on the box mm. and stuff. Mm. So, so what happens um, from the point of view of, of sharing um, maybe some, some rootstock or scion um, or um, the fruits themselves? Um, you know, is, is the public involved in any way with this? When it gets to that point, they will be for sure. Right. Pam. There will be... Uh, that will be part of, you know, the, the future, well, that will, is part of the future plan that, you know, we'll be able to, the produce will be available, you know, it, it might go out to a community group or to, you know, perhaps a refuge centre in Adelaide or, you know, be donated to a school for their school fate so that they can raise money, just whatever's going to, to work at the time or, you know, you know, depending on the amount of produce. And then I would certainly suspect that, you know, once that really, Arboretum really gets going then they're the sort of things that they would mm. look at for sure. Be- because we'd love to, to not only um, preserve these varieties, but to also share them yes. and, and have yes. a, you know, yes. people out in the public growing more on. Yes. 
Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. You've, 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 you've segued beautifully into the next project <laughs> I wanted to talk about, which is you've, you've also supported a community garden at the Australian Migrant Resource Centre in Mount Gambia. Yes. Tell us a bit about that. Well, the... The, the centre at Mount Gambia is, the, is an independent operation and they are the main um, resource settlement agency in South Australia and their role is assisting migrants, particularly from Myanmar and Congo, into um, settling into Australia. Mm. And they do sorts of things like, you know, they'll assist them, they'll take them um, shopping, um, to you know, look at things like irrigation, um, you know, just all of the things they're going to need when they're gardening. Um, a lot of these people, um, you know, were in trouble from trying to grow fruits or vegetables in their um, home countries. And a big part of the resource centre is there's a community garden there, and they are trying to grow all of the varieties that they're familiar with and that they want to grow, like long beans and corn and Lots all of okra. The, yeah, <laughs> yeah, all that sort of thing. Yeah. And we simply assist them with providing some fertiliser, which is an easy thing to do, and it's something that you know we really take great pride and pleasure in doing. Mm. Yeah, mm. and it's, it's great. It's fantastic to see that in. I mean, a lot of people do end up being resettled in regional areas. I know in mm. Shepparton, you know, there's a yes. huge population of people that have been resettled there, and mm. yeah, fantastic to see that that little initiative of a garden. Um, offering that support, it, it's such a simple thing. Here, here's, here's some space. What, mm. what foods do you want to grow? You want to grow the foods you can't buy in Mount Gambia, I'm yeah, sure. But how, how, much, <laughs> how much pleasure, like you can only imagine the pleasure and um, the comfort that they would be getting from doing that. Type oh, of absolutely. Thing. You know, absolutely. You, you can't put a price on, to me, that's food for your soul as mm. well. Mm. And it's a, such an important thing to be able to do. So they're just a couple of the, the things that Neutral do. Mm. And, you know, we really, really take great pl- pride and pleasure in it. And we're always open to, you know, if somebody says, oh, gosh, that sounds quite interesting, give me a call because uh, I'm <laughs> your girl to project. come to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. And, you know, like as far as your products go, they're all organic. Are they all certified organic? No, or they they're organic? no they're not, Millie. We, um, we're a biological fertiliser company yep. and we've rebranded as such a couple of years ago, even though, that's what we have always done. Yep. Uh, so a number of our products are certified organic, but also a number are organically based and chemically enhanced. But they are all biological, um, particularly like we've always composted outside. Uh, we've basically ended up with a batch of what we like to refer to as super bugs in our product because there's just so many different, there's such a diversity of beneficial bacteria in our product. We so much as at the point of believing in the soil's health and the biology that we employed a scientist about two years ago. I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Yui Stroer. Mm. Uh, he heads up our research and development um, department. His background is medical science, so he's actually a world-renowned authority on diphtheria and hep B. Mm. He then did his PhD in microbiology, and I'm talking years ago, although I'm making Yui sound old and he's not, <laughs> but um, Yui did his PhD in microbiology and that's where he decided his real passion lie. And then he worked at Flinders University in Adelaide for a number of years and he acted as a consultant to us for about 10 years whilst we were working on go-go juice. And then we were just so fortunate a couple of years ago that he was available to come on board because we have got some unbelievable things happening in the background, you know, under almost at trial point at the moment that's probably going, well, 
it was going to make a massive difference to the farming communities. It is, um, it's interesting to hear you talk because, you know, if you'd ask, ask me what Nutroc do, go, oh, they're a fertiliser company. Mm. But they're not a fertiliser company no. because you don't focus on fertiliser. No. You no, use right. the word products. So yes. I, I noticed yes. that, that you're yes. using the word products yes. when you talk about things because mm. they're bigger than just his nutrients, put that on your soil. Yeah. It's, it's we, about health overall. It really, really is. And just, you know, in case you don't know, our background actually started in commercial. So Angus Irwin, who owns the business, he has a, a farming background, and, and most of us at Neutrog have a farming and or a country background. And he headed down the path of setting up Neutrog 30-odd years ago, as I was saying, and he thought he was going to sell poultry manure to broadacre farmers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly learned that that was not the way of the future, but that there was a massive market for it in horticulture. So our business started in commercial, and it's still the biggest part of our annual tonnage. So we do something like 65% of our um, product goes to to the farming market. Mm. And and to put it into some sort of context for the listeners, if you don't grow your own fruit and vegetables, it's quite likely that whatever you purchase at the green grocer or at the supermarket has been grown in part on a Neutrog product. And that would be where a farmer is working, you know, perhaps potatoes. They'll be putting seamungus through the soil prior to planting. Mm. Uh, they certainly use other products on there. Um, I know that a lot of the garlic industry uses seamungus. Yes. Mm. So, oh, yes. the seamungus, it is our premium certified organic product. But we have Rapid Razor, which is an old, old favourite. It's what I use mainly in my garden and on my farm. We have bounce back, and then we have a heap of um, other products. Bush tucker, I think we were we were we a bit of bush tucker moved out of here with the native plants developed, mm. of course, by Angus, Angus yes, and Simon, yeah, Simon, yeah, yeah. yeah. which yeah. is you know a, a, something a product to mm. use on natives. People want to do it; they are always asking. Yes, and, um, I, you know, great the, to fill that niche. Um, if I can just ask a question, one of the things because it's one of the things that I've had to do in Organic Garden magazine is to try and explain to people how some of these different products work because they're becoming so scientifically complicated with the um, different bacteria and different fungi and all sorts of different things in the in the product to try and explain to your average reader, you know, this is in there to help with that and this is in there to help with that and, and the best way of using them. Is that something that you find hard to communicate on uh, your products or, or do you find that you can just label it and say this is good for your garden and use it? I tend to, one of my main roles is running training sessions for our retailers and garden club presentations. Okay. I've had a lot to do with the Australian Plant Society over the last few years with the development of bush tucker and you will often be asked questions about the individual products and you can relay the information about those products to suit the question but we always take it back to the fact that you know you've got to look after your soil and we're certainly a fertilizer company we're not an organic we're biological but we've just got such a strong belief in that and we will then talk about you know the the beneficial bacteria that if you've got good organic levels in your soil regardless of whether it's one of our products or it's your own blood and bone that you know you've traditionally loved using blood and bone or it's the compost that you've made it's so important though to have those beneficial bacteria to eat that organic matter and digest it and turn it into a form that the plant can uptake but then you know we we respond to you know, what's in the product, that they're all different. Like, you know, maybe it might be gigantic, for example. So, you know, it's been boosted in calcium and magnesium to, you know, enhance that 
um, you know. So you explain that with the product? Yes. So that that is sort yes. of on the label or available on yes. the web so that yes. you can see why this one is different to yes. this one. We, we tell a story yeah. because we want people to um, understand that a product really is, you know, quite unique. Mm. It's not just a, um, a, a fruit and citrus fertiliser. There is a reason why it's going to perform the way you want it to do. Mm. 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 Fantastic. Now, I noticed also, and, and a lot of this, I guess, ties in with you, you were mentioning about um, rose growers and getting the rose growers in to, to actually um, uh, liaise with when, when, when you um, developed um, sudden, impact. sudden Impact. But I noticed that you, you sponsor things like the Victorian State Rose Garden in Werribee, Flemington Race Course with its rose garden. Um, you're also involved with Royal Talbot. Rehab Hospital, yes, um, and they're very renowned for the work they've done in in their um, in their um, therapeutic gardens oh, yes, around the, yes. the rehab hospital there, Geelong Botanic Gardens. Yes. These are all, um, you know, places that are very familiar to our listeners, um, and you and you've uh, taken it on board to try and just just help them in some way with sponsorship of again product it, and yeah, it, look, it's a really important part of what we do, and you know, obviously, if it's of benefit to us as well, like we're not in the business of you know we're in the business of growing the business but it just fits with what we want to do like we are all at work you know a good proportion of our life and we want to love and enjoy and be passionate about what we do and Mm -hmm. and and I think that that is the way we I mean my my belief in the company and the way we go about things is it's just um, profound and that's what I said earlier you know everybody knows those big names like you've just mentioned Flemington the State Rose Garden Morwell Rose Garden but there's so many you know I might run into somebody um, when I'm doing a training session at a Bunnings store and they might say look my son or daughter they're in a, a small garden they've not got a big garden they don't they're not part of any structure but there's a teacher who's trying to encourage the children let me know I'll drop you off a bag of seamongers and a bottle of go-go juice all of those sort of things mm-hmm. are really really important mm. to us Absolutely, well, that's great. It's part of being part of the community. Isn't oh, it? It that's is, what it is. very it's much really so. Any, yeah. any business yeah. should be doing yeah. that. You know, well, this is what the, what you're doing should be the norm rather than the exception. Yeah. Exactly. But that is that is what we have always done, mm. and it's not just. And you know, we we are employed in part because of you know we're going to fit in with that. That's part of how we like to work as as people, mm. and you know, even like where I live up in the country. There's a tiny little kindergarten there and they've got a community garden. They've got some fruit trees and, you know, we're really happy to say, here's some seamongers, let me know when you're getting low. You know, I did a talk there back in summertime. There was only 10 people there, but that doesn't matter. Mm. You know, drop off some hooflung dung to mulch your vegetable garden, some go-go juice. There's some product the children can take home and put in their own home gardens. Mm. And, you know, in the long run, that helps us as well because those parents go into the local mm. produce store looking for the product. Or Ask about it if they've never yeah, encountered yeah, what yeah. they should use before. Yeah. yeah. You know, I remember my nephew, who's now 28, when he was a little fella, he's dragging me around the side veranda and he'd bought this tomato and the tomato's sort of half sitting up out of the pot and... Oh, no, that's right, he, he had planted it. <laughs> but this, this much of the, you know, the root balls sticking, sticking out, out of the ground. Sticking out of the ground. <laughs> but he was having a crack. He wanted to grow a vegetable yeah. garden. Yes. Yeah. It's funny. You know, I think about all the schools and ki- ki- 
you know all the all the places that have gardens now mm. and it's um you know like it's this it is a it is a movement it's, it's it's happened in our in the last 10 years but i just think how much money they've saved on playgrounds and playground equipment mm. <laughs> you know just build a garden you've got all of those and activities you think yeah. all of these things that people had to come up with when all they had was a a bit of lawn and a and a climbing frame mm. and now there's this thriving garden that presents mm. challenges yeah. and physical activity and Bugs to projects and all of these things. It's <laughs> yep. like, you Dirty know, fingernails. All of this exactly. stuff that some poor teacher would have had to be thinking up <laughs> back what? in the day. I can remember years ago I was doing a promotion in store and there a group of ladies there and a couple of them came up to me afterwards and they were parents of children who were at Footscray West Primary School and they were setting up, you know, they had a, a vegetable garden, they had a few fruit trees and that over a period of a number of years, I got to know those ladies really well and their children, and we'd initially provided them some rapid razor every now and again, but they ended up um, winning you know, quite a substantial prize because of what they'd done around the school with yes. developing. But, they, but what was really passionate, what, they were so passionate, like they said, the children that might be mucking up in class and they can't you know, concentrate in class, they would be the first ones racing out the door to mm. get to the vegetable garden during their recess or their mm. lunch and they've got their apples and they want to put it in the compost bin mm. and you just can't put a price on things like exactly. that. Exactly, mm. exactly. Mm. Which, which leads me to ask you, um, briefly explain what the Poo Bar Club is. Oh, the, the Poo Bar Club. <laughs> I love the name. Oh, the names are a win. Whoever, whoever came up with your name oh, in policy that's, is, that's, uh, deserves a little pat on the back, I think. That's Angus. He heads up our marketing department. That's his... I mean, who flung dung is just a fantastic name for oh, a Oh, look... The Who Flung Dung is, it has been absolutely phenomenal. It is a phenomenal product, but the name has certainly got a lot to do with it. And I look after most of our social media, so our Instagram posting and our Facebook. And when I first started popping things up about Who Flung Dung, I was shocked at the response we had. And it got to the point one day, and these are from inquiries all around Australia, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to pull over here, get a coffee and get out of the computer and start responding straight away. Because I think, and I actually put up a paid post, I think, I wonder where, how far this can actually go. And it ended up connecting with about 7,000 people, I think. And Good I thought, heavens. That's just phenomenal. Yeah. But the names are unbelievable. And the Poobah Club is our way of communicating with our um growers, our farmers, our garden club members, our sponsorship sites and it's simply a matter of our registering your name and your email address on our website and we mail you out our newsletters each month. Great. And they're always full of stories from around the country or even overseas that are relevant to us as gardeners or farmers. Yep. Fantastic. Well, um, I I love the approach of the company and I was so interested to hear about some of these projects. I think... think, um, as Penny said before, you know, if so many of these other companies could follow and think about giving back to the community and incorporating the community in, in what they're doing uh, so that we're all working together for, for better soil health, um, better produce, I mean, mm. we're all going to be a lot healthier for it in the oh, long run. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. 
Yep. So I do thank you for giving up your Sunday morning this morning. That's to come no in. worries. I was out last night at Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, so it, was, it was no big drama to hang around in Melbourne. <laughs> well, thank you so much, It's been Helen. my pleasure been and thank great. you for having me on here. More than welcome. Okay, it's more than time we, we invited our listeners to join us this morning. If you'd like to ask a gardening question, do give us a call. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. We do have Penny Woodward, Millie Ross in the studio. Um, Helen Lovell is here from Neutrog for the moment. Um, I don't know if she needs to leave fairly early if you want to ask her a question, but do give us a call. That number, 94190155. Millie, let's, while we've got the chance, talk yes. about a couple of the plants you've brought in. Plants I scavenged in the dark this morning. What yes. a, it's a really nice morning, everyone. I think you should all get up and do some gardening early today. As, as yesterday was, it was a stunning stunning day up over the, the range, and we actually spent the day on Mount Macedon, which was, it was actually sunny in the little clearing in the forest we were, <laughs> we were in. It was uh, just sensational. But, um, look, it, it brings me to, this is a plant, I brought in a plant today that I met in the dark ten years ago. And um, I was I was walking my old dog, not Squiddy, my my old dog Zebedee, um, through the streets of Seddon in the dark one night, and I came across this plant in this little, tiny little street, and I sort of stopped and looked at this thing in the dark. It was you know three meters high, looked like a petosporum in the dark, you know that sort of shape and form, but I could see it had this very corea-like flower on it, um, and I thought that's that can't be a corea, that looks like a petosporum, and so I sort of headed home and I think I'd stole a little twig actually and had a look at it in the light when I got home and thought that definitely looks like a choria. I went back and had another look in the daylight and it turns out it was a choria. It's a choria that's called the tree choria, choria Lorenziana and Roger tells me there's many many varieties. It's very widespread in um, up the east coast of Australia and I believe into Tasmania as well and um, when I was at Karanga a, a couple of weeks ago I saw they had about five or six different variations of this plant um, so exceedingly variable thing um, this one is a slightly red flowered form this flower on it um, you know it's probably what it'd be three four centimeters long um, you know ber- perfect elongated chorea uh, bell type flower and um, this one actually is quite coppery red when it when it comes out but there are a lot of forms that look much like chorea glabra the greens um, and and of course that lovely um, foliage of choreas which I, I think Look, they are such useful plants, um, but this one just absolutely takes my breath away because it is a tall plant. Mm. Um, Some of the varieties certainly spread as much as they grow, so they can be anywhere from four metres wide to four metres high. Um, But I I spoke to to, um, Evan there and and tried to pick out some of the varieties that are a little bit more upright because I want to use them as screening. And and I I say that I thought it was a petosporum in the dark. Mm. It was that habit of that plant. It's actually, the leaf is almost fajoa-like, isn't it? Almost, yeah, this is a really... I thought it was. Right? I, pick, okay. I looked at it more closely. I picked yeah. up two um, two varieties when I was there, and um, the other one has a, a much more slender leaf and a lovely sort of dark red stem to it. Mm. So exceedingly variable plant, but I think a really, really interesting plant. Um, I think some are more reliable than others as far as a long-term shrub. There's one in the Botanic Gardens actually just down from the Oak Lawn where there's that... There's a central garden with a lot of native plants in it, and it's it is as wide as it is tall. I've seen them in parks where they're actually forming lovely, thick, sort of dense 
upright um, screening plan. So, mm. look, just something that I'm really interested in. Interested in you know heavy frosts that we we suffer and look, it hasn't hasn't um, hasn't worried at all in a pot. And I, I'm hoping in the ground, um, in the lower part of a, a garden, um, that I'm working on that it, you know it'll work really well where that frost will settle. Um, because it is the mountain courier is another another one of the the names that you'll hear it described as. But look, I guess for me as a gardener, and, and I did meet it ten years ago, but I'd I'd never seen it planted in a garden until there was one in one of the show gardens on um, the Achievable Gardens Alley last year. The Wedding right. Garden had had one in it, um, and and I've seen a few around in parks, but a rarely seen plant. But I think something we should be mucking around with and experimenting with more to see where its tolerances are, to see how it can be used. Um, as you know, screening. If you prune it from a young age, I'm sure you could um, get a really lovely hedge out of it. So that's Coria Lorenziana. Um, if you jump onto the uh, Facebook page, I think I've sent some rather average photographs. It's not the simple. It's not the easiest thing to photograph with an iPhone in a in a, <laughs> in a studio yeah. um, early in the morning and, and capturing that detail. But look, I just think there's so many plants we haven't grown much in our gardens and so mm. many Australian plants we haven't exactly. grown much in our gardens. This yep. one this one really tickles my fancy. So mm. mountain courier or tree courier. Um, I'd love to know if you've grown it, seen it or uh, yeah, used it in any way and, and to hear how you've done that. Mm. Mm. Okay. Um, what's the other one you've brought in there? Well, the other one is not an Australian plant, although it has been given a, a trademark as it, with an Australian-ish um, sort of uh, tagline. But again, a, another thing that's fantastic for hedging and screening and, and evergreen hedging and screening, this is used to be called Myrtus Ugni, and now it's called Ugni Moline. Mm. Um, but you'll also know it as the Chilean guava. Um, I think Tassie Berry is the thing that it was marketed as years ago. I think whoever did that probably thought it was going to sweep the supermarkets um, and become a, a very sought-after food plant. But it is an excellent and very, very tasty berry. They are delicious. They're beautiful, aren't they? They're really yeah. delicious. But I think this plant is really super beautiful as well. It's um, it's so Myrtus Ugni, giving you that name, tells you that it's, it's a little myrtle sort of foliage shrub. Anyway, from probably about a metre and a half, I think it would be at its best, um, and it clips into a fantastic hedge. That The flower is a little sort of nodding myrtle flower that's almost like a dusky pink. Um, it's exceedingly beautiful if you like gorgeous little tiny things, um, and it is really, really tough. I've seen this. There's a really good hedge of this, actually, in the patch in the Botanic Gardens in okay. Tassie, sort of up in, in one of the mm. seating areas, and um, clips really well. Again, with you know that myrtle-like foliage, you get a lovely sort of tip growth on it which is a coppery red colour. I just think it's a ex- really handsome shrub um, and can grow in sort of quite shaded areas through to quite sunny areas. Um, very, very tough, very easy to maintain, um, totally cold hardy um, and, you know, also copes with the heat quite well. You'd probably find you get a bit of spider mite on it or those sorts of problems in, in really, really hot, stressed areas. Um, but, look, a really delicious berry. Have you, yeah, do you I, eat this yeah, one? Look, I, yeah. I grew a hedge of it in the last house that we lived in and it was in a really tough spot and it did really well Mm. Um, I've got it in my current garden and the soil is heavier and it doesn't do quite as well in that clay in 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 the heavy heavier clay but I saw the the one in the botanic gardens in Tassie in fruit and it was completely covered in fruit it just looked extraordinary Mm. and and I didn't actually quite understand how all those berries hadn't been eaten by birds yes Uh, but they seem not to be quite as attracted to them as they are to some other berry 
Well, it is in the middle of a very, very fancy vegetable garden, so there's probably a lot of things to eat. But, but it, yeah. you know, but true, they're sort of hidden within the plant a little bit mm. as well. So, mm. but this was just glowing. Yeah, with the fruit. It look, it glowing. glows in flower, it glows in fruit, yep. it glows with the new growth. It is really, really tough. And, um, I, you know, the the fact that it was trademarked as Tassie Berry at mm. some point, you know, yeah. it, it tells you how delicious it is, um, and mm. ha- how much potential whoever did that thought <laughs> this plant happened. And I saw that some in New Zealand they call it the new New Zealand something berry. I can't even think uh, what it is. But, you know, everyone's trying to appropriate it, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, look, it's just a really, really great plant. And and I know, you know, this time of the year I'm sort of looking around in a really cold climate for things Mm. that are evergreen, that aren't viburnum tinus, um, that, you know, that are are doing something um, that are are lovely plants to have in the garden at this time of the year. And actually went to St Earth for that very reason, just to have a look around Mm. um, Mm. last, last week, just to... To get a feel well, for yeah. some and of the different things. Diggers has been selling this for years. So yeah, yes, absolutely. Yes, so, yes. look, it's it's a great little plant. So it'll be sold as Chilean guava, um, Tassie berry. If you, but I think that's when you buy the fruit and the punnet. I'm not sure if that's still happening. But um, Ugni Molinae, which is U G N I. M-O-L-L-I-N-A-E um, or Myrtus Ugni. You'll probably still be able to get it as Myrtus Ugni. Um, the Chilean guava and just a lovely, lovely plant. You know, I'm holding a tube here that um, that as actually is a digger's plant, but you will get it in tube stock. You can get a hedge in the ground for, you know, probably 30 bucks. You'll get a decent little hedge mm. and, um, and, and one that's useful and edible and can be shaped Mm. In any shape you like, too. Really great for topiary. And it grows relatively easily from cuttings. So yeah, once fantastic. you get a couple of plants established, you can get, you yeah. know, create your hedges. Yep. Yeah, just a, just a great little doer. Terrific. Okay, we're going to our first caller. We have uh, Peter in Thornbury. Good morning, Peter. Uh, good morning. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, so I, I belong to a community group, and we've inherited a piece of ground which we can use to establish um, a garden. They've recently done a bunch of building close to um, this piece of ground. Um, They've put a second building um, next to the building where we meet. And um, it's a bit of a problem because when we dug into it, we discovered about 10 centimetres below the topsoil, there's a big layer of that yellow builder's sand. Right. um, And it's quite puggy and, and so forth. So just wondering what our options are. Uh, can I just say that I would start by testing the soil? Yes, Because you need to pH, check for contamination. Yeah. You need to get a professional test done and find, make sure that there aren't things in there that you really don't want to be growing in because otherwise mm. you'll need to build um, beds above the ground and bring in soil. Okay, mm. we're, we're not looking at this for food. Okay, okay. okay. Um, okay. We're actually establishing a dye garden. Oh, fantastic. All right. It is It is still worth doing, Peter, and it's not particularly costly. The council might support you to do it if it's a community space as well, yep. just to know what you're dealing with because, you know, contaminated. So if you're going to want lots of kids in there and mucking around, you, you just want to know what the soil area is. And, you know, I've seen community gardens where they've literally capped it with clay and their mulch goes on top of that. And, and so it can be a very usable space, um, as Penny says, building up. Um, but once once you you sort of ascertain that the soil's worth improving, I would um, I would just be getting my hands on every bit of organic matter I could. I would be sowing green manure crops probably as a good, you know, if you if you're taking over a new site, um, great time to just 
get yourself a big bag of peas and beans and all sorts of things and then that's pretty fun community activity slashing it and digging it in isn't it yeah. I think the kids would like that one so and you could almost create a sort of wildflower meadow the first yeah, time around absolutely so, so just be um just be getting things growing I guess is, is okay, it's, it's quite solid already yeah I, I test the soil and then you'd, you'd need to be sort of breaking it up and and getting green manures in I would say would okay, be your so first if we break it up and and dig it in is that is that going to be all right I mean in terms of the soil structure and things it sounds like you've not really got a soil structure as yet if you've just sort of got soil and, and sand. So that's, that's what you'd be looking to build. Yeah. Um, so but it sounds like, I mean, we, I can give you, we can give you general advice, but it does sound like you probably need to, to get someone sort of focusing on the soil and building the soil and working out what you might want to grow where. Um, yeah. And whether you do some intensive sort of areas where you're actually, you could even do some no-dig beds where you're, you're building up a soil profile that way with lots of organic matter and, and you know, things like some of the, the products that we've been talking about this morning, those biological activators that have got a bit of nutrients and a bit of bugs in them and actually building it up in, in that way um, would, would be good. But I think the first thing is get your soil tested to make sure that the site is safe for kids to be digging and, and working in down the track um, and then start building your soil. Okay, um, the other thing is we're, we're looking at putting in some native things like Indigofera australis and things. Um, so is my, my suspicion is that under that layer of sand is quite a lot of clay. Um, uh, are, we, are we fighting a losing battle in that sense, putting in stuff like Indigofera? Uh, no, you're not. Um, but but just because they're Australian natives doesn't mean they're going to grow necessarily more easily than anything else. So so yeah, I yeah, think I'm the agree. overall approach ne still needs to be to improve your to improve your soil if you can. Um, I'd almost if if you if you're concerned that you've got a a layer of, of heavy clay underneath a layer of sand. I mean, sand is, is one of the uh, things that is often used to help break up heavy clay soil. So if there was yes, a way it's of... That, it's that oily, you know, that oily clay builder's sand, you know, the yellow yes, stuff. Yes, yes. I, I think any soil can be improved, but mm. it takes time. So that, that would be... I'd find out what you're working with and then just start to build it organically. I would probably dig it or rip it first. That I was going to say first, maybe rip it first yeah, where to you, incorporate not, it. Yeah, so you're just opening up opening up that soil profile and then I, I would definitely organic matter and I, I would go a green manure crop as your first first crop just to, to get some things, get some or, life growing. Or bring in some, some organic, you know, horse manure. Horse manure. Horse manure, that, yes. That adds yeah. a lot of... Cow um, manure, yeah, any of the manures. A lot of organic matter without too much yeah. nitrogen and, and I would be mulching it and, mm. and you know, with, with lucerne hay which will attract the worms mm. and yep. the protozoa and, you know, you, you just need to be adding to it and adding to it mm. and adding to it. But I mean, it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. A project like this, it's going to take time because it's so important to... Yeah. To get your soil built up before yeah. you do anything else. But there's plenty of, you know, there's plenty of annuals, but you could have a bit of fun with it. You could, you could do a green renewal crop and then this spring dig it in and actually plant out some blocks of annual dye plants. Yeah, you yeah. know, all you need is, is a whole lot of, you know, bright flowers. You um, can fill it up with sunflowers. Yeah. You know, just do something. Dye things with the seeds. Although yeah. you're working towards a dye mm. garden, mm. you can have fun with it, as, as mm. Millie said. So yes. Over yeah. the next 12 months while you're building up the yeah, soil. Yeah, and then maybe look to doing your main sort of 
strategic plantings next winter, you know, you might start to bring in some of the native species once you've got a bit of life into that that site again. Um, But, look, I I mean, I think that's good, and it's a great way to capture a bit of attention to do Mm. that as well and, Mm. you know, put some signage up and let people know what you're doing um, and, yeah. and, you know, get the community interested in what you're doing. Um, and, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many ways you can do it, but definitely, if you can, having an impact on that soil straight, straight away, just focusing on your soil as opposed to putting indigophras in, I think, is the, the strategy that will mean it's a long-term success. Yep, okay, and no and what would you recommend for um, one of your products? Well, for the natives, either Seamungus, if they would yep. like to stick with certified organic. Seamungus has only got one point of phosphorus, so it's safe for almost all natives, except perhaps some that are particularly sensitive, you know, maybe some of the Grevilleas and some of the members of the Proteaceae family, uh, or Bush Tucker, which is even better, because that mm-hmm. can be used at planting time. Mm-hmm. It's but but if, if they want to put in a whole lot of annuals, for instance, this year, you know, is there something that's going to um, bring oh, you in mean the bacteria or the, you know... The, bring some biology the, in. Yeah, yeah, bring yeah. some biology in. What well, what, what I would be doing is, like, I'd be doing all of the things that you've both suggested, but I would be putting out some go-go juice. Mm. So okay. populating so the soil. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. populating the soil with beneficial bacteria because there's... In the go-go juice, there are just so many different um, species. I, think I might even have a bottle of that. <laughs> oh, well, you go. might need more than one. <laughs> but look, I mean, right now, autumn, look, you still get leaves. You still get places mm. under oak trees where no true. one's swept. If you can get ten people gathering mm. and just Bags say, start of, dropping of off leaves, leaves. Mm. Um, you know, rip it, dump some horse manure, dump whatever you can find. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, you just start to build soil. And, and you know, I love I love that. I, you know, last last autumn I raked up all the leaves, I put a tarp with them under a tree I or a bit of shade cloth, tied it up in a bonbon and walked away. And I came back and last weekend I sifted it all out and got all my leaf mould for my seed sowing for spring, you know. And really it only took me half an hour, mm. you know. So... It, you don't have to do much to get soil working apart from put some organic matter on there um, and a diversity of materials mm. if you can. Yes. Try and get whatever you can get your hands on, put it on the block and yep. you'll, you'll, have, you know, you'll start to bring some life into that soil. Okay. Can Sounds I ask fun. another quick question? Sure. Um, anyone have any experience with coppicing um, small eucalypts? So the sort of thing I'm looking at is um, cinerea or crenulata and I'm... Um, I've got a sort of idea that to coppice it because we don't want it to get large um, and, and, what, and what we actually want is the young foliage um, because it works really nicely for echo dying and stuff like that. Mm. So um, anybody got anything to add I to s- that? I would, be, I would be keen to have a go. Like definitely, um, I just do a bit of reading. I think some plants respond better to um, that really heavy pruning than others but most or many eucalypts are actually really used to it mm. you know they're adapted um, to being dropped by fire or, or, or whatever else um, so yeah look I think it would certainly be worth um, doing a little bit of research in the actual species as to to how small you can keep them but no I think it's a, an easy thing to do and, and certainly on a decent sized block you should be able to yeah. do that. We, I coppice all the eucalypts on our block 
and it works really well. Mm. Okay. Mm. So, um, look, it may be that there, I don't know, that there are a few species that don't respond mm. well, as mm. Millie says, but, uh, look, uh, you can always plant another one. Yeah, look, I, I always, I think it's worth giving it a go. You see accidental coppicing all the time, yeah. yes, mowers and all you sorts do. of things. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, for the most part, they, they cope. But, um, yeah, certainly, I mean, don't want to step on Roger and Gwen's toes with the specific, mm. species-specific information. Gwen um, will probably ring in. Gwen will ring in and, and tell us off, but... Um, but yeah, look, I, I would feel pretty confident to have a go. Yes. Let, I mean, I guess the thing is, let them establish for a couple of years before you start to cut. Um, yep. But light prune, perhaps from a from a young age. Yep. All right. Terrific. Okay. Good luck. Thanks for your help. Okay. Bye. I think Bye. it's um there's a fantastic uh, woody woody meadow um, projects that are going on. Mm. Um, some research through Burnley uh, with you know looking at alternative ways of creating lovely native plantings in public spaces and I'm hoping mm. to do it on my verge in the in the fullness of time okay. um, of the shrubs. At, they've been doing it at Cranbourne too. Been doing yes. it at Cranbourne, yes. doing it, um, there's a site on the Yarra River um, and, and also through some of the Burnley research, mm. but shrubs that really will cope with being cut to the ground every f- few years to, mm. to keep them looking in that kind of amenity horticulture, full, fresh sort of look but also that they can come through I guess and do one sweep of maintenance um, every couple of years and and see how things respond so um, it's certainly, it's fun to put plants through their paces and you can always get another one as Penny says, another $4 (laughs) tube sorry mate (laughs) Exactly, okay we're going next to uh, Julie out in North Bourne, good morning Julie Good morning everybody, I've got three quick questions I I promise Um, First of all just reference the Chilean guava which we saw down in Tassie and yes the berries are beautiful um I just wonder though what what aspect if I was to grow one in my garden here please what aspect it likes look they seem to do well almost anywhere Mm. I've grown it south facing and north facing and in both places it's done well right so I you know I'd just put it in and give it a go yeah and the berries are beautiful yeah now Mm. the other thing is yesterday we get travelled to Ballarat and gave friends a, a pot of cyclamen and suddenly it occurred to me how frosty Ballarat gets and I hope that they're going to be able to put their cyclamen, keep it outside because as we all know they don't actually like it inside much and Kevin Hines used to say, put it out with the cat at <laughs> night. That's right. <laughs> That's great advice. Um, it should be fine, they are, they are well adapted to, to cold climates. You find Stephen's got a great collection, so he Simon Rickard right. and yeah, it snows Stephen at his place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and look, this one for Penny please, and I actually got your, bought your book at um, Last uh, during the uh, the telethon, uh, the, the which the, one? The, Thanks, you know, <laughs> yeah. Now, but my question is, I've got two neglected thyme bushes, mm-hmm. and they're growing the green leaves at the top and an awful lot of dead stuff down the bottom. Can I cut it? back into that dead wood, so to Look, sometimes you can and sometimes you can't. What I would do is leave it for uh, a few weeks and take cuttings um, right. from the top. And yep. they, it grows really easily from cuttings in spring. Right. Uh, and then I would cut it back hard and see what happens. <laughs> okay. Because so, they may not come back. It, it really depends how woody, how woody they are. Often you'll see, spring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you often see just a tiny bit of happiness yeah. down in that, in that you, older yeah, growth. If and there's, if you a, see that, if there's a, a bud forming, then, yeah. then you're safe to cut back to it. But, um, yeah, I would just take some cuttings first. And they do grow really easily. In about a month's time, um, with the you know odd weather that we're having, it's likely to be warm enough to, to take some cuttings. Ah, good. Thank you for that help. 
Absolute Lovely. pleasure. Thanks for the program, you people. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's you, fine. Such Thank good you. advice to, uh, to take a few cuttings before you do anything <laughs> drastic. <laughs> <laughs> I think Especially so. Especially when they grow so easily. Yeah, right. absolutely. I mean, it is. I think we forget sometimes too, don't we, that propagation is just such a simple way to yeah. keep a plant or to move a plant. Mm. Yeah, people dig mm. it up when you can just take some cuttings. And Yeah, I and always feel a bit sad when people dig up their plants when they're leaving places. I mean, I know that, you know, Depends on what the circumstances stuff, yeah. But when you dig up your garden and take it all away before the new person moves in, I think that really you should be taking cuttings of your plants. And it's sometimes a more reliable way to take yeah. it with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but and leaving them behind for the person who will be moving in, because not everyone wants to bulldoze the garden. So. No, and, 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 and maybe it was the garden that attracted them to buy the place in, in the first place. Yeah, so, look, I, know. Many, many years ago I was talking to someone who'd bought a garden from a fairly well-known horticultural um, person, person. <laughs> and when they got to the house after they'd left, it was full of holes because oh. they'd taken all their plants with them and part well, of the reason for buying the house was, yes. was because of the garden. Mind you, I also know someone who bought a house from a, a very well-known horticultural person <laughs> and proceeded to just destroy the garden. Oh, yeah, I know. So, like, I know. with, with yeah. just no skill or care. Ways. So, yeah. look, I, look I've, I've done both. I mean, I've moved out of a lot of rental properties that mm. are going to be, you know, one bulldoze. that was going to be bulldozed and yeah. I, I took things out of the ground in... In, yeah, yeah. in 40 degree weather you yeah, know, you know it's going to be bulldozed that's, that's a different question and the lovely yeah. moment was when I drove down the street and they'd knocked the house down um, sort of 12 months later and they hadn't started building and I, I walked down onto the block and down the back of the block you just all of these lettuce and asparagus and all of this stuff seeding all over this block it was the best crop of uh, yeah. edible weeds you've ever seen in your <laughs> life but um, look it is it is a it's a hard one because I you know I know people often do that don't they they think mm. oh I I left that beautiful thing and, and uh, now I drive past and it's gone. And it, mm. it is a tricky thing to know mm. unless people are actually really open mm. and say, we want this garden. Yeah. Do you know what? I have, I have one very simple rule. Don't ever go back and look at a house you once owned. Not if you loved it. it not if you <laughs> loved it. it it's soul-destroying. Yeah, it's true, <laughs> Just don't it? go back and look. It's true. It's funny, though, you know, blocks of weeds and, and talking about working that... Um, that really, you know, that, that builder's block that they've mm. been given in Thornbury and they want to make a garden out of. There's a, there's a really interesting garden that we've, we've filmed a story um, for Gardening Australia and it comes up in the next few weeks. But um, in West Australia where a project has actually taken a, a disused block where a lot of weeds were germinating and they've curated them into a garden. And uh, yeah. it's absolutely spectacular. And it's really interesting that the artist who's done it um, worked with a lot of the homeless people, a lot of homeless people from the area and people that were perhaps a little bit disadvantaged and, you know, kind of making that um, that link between the way people are treated um, who are in the wrong place or mm. not meant to be there um, and homelessness really puts people in places that a lot of people don't want to see and they're, exactly. they're treated as... Um, we I think did a lot it might actually be on next week because I think there was a trailer for it. Ah, could be, could be. I, yeah. I get very, very confused with yeah. the timelines. I never yeah. know what's happening. Um, uh, but uh, also... Um, you know, just just this fantastic. It's a really interesting garden. It's caused a lot of controversy because they are growing weed species in a mm. very very controlled way. But um, opening up a conversation and opening yep. up a social conversation yes. through this this really beautiful installation. Yeah, it's really yeah. Interesting. great. Yeah, Penny, you've brought in a book that you. <laughs> Dying to talk yeah. about. <laughs> this is a book that I reviewed in Organic Gardener last year, um, and since I reviewed it, I have been spending a lot more time looking at it and reading it, and it has become my one of my most favourite books. And I talk about it quite a bit at talks and things. And it's the Field Guide to Spiders of Australia. 
I just adore. Well, I just just I'll oh. give it to you in a second. <laughs> I just <laughs> let me have a look. Um, I just do don't lose that spot. Yeah. Um, but it covers. It's the first time anyone has written a book on Australian spiders, and we have a unique population of Australian spiders in Australia. Uh, and part of the message that they're trying to get out there is we need to protect our spiders, not squash them. So we, they, they estimate that we have 20,000 unique species of spiders Gosh, in Australia. And they've only identified 4,000 of them. So Goodness. there's still all this. With, with people with cameras mm. and citizen science, people oh. are going around and photographing them. Right. And suddenly they're discovering all these species that they didn't know existed. Um, and... I just adore this book because there are things like peacock spiders, which are more beautiful than peacocks. There are things like on the front cover, there is this amazing spider, which is called the ogre-faced net catcher spider. <laughs> it's so beautiful. <laughs> and it's got these huge blue eyes. And it, it sort of, I, I sort of feel quite sad that it's called ogre-faced because I think it's a gorgeous, <laughs> a gorgeous spider. But when I, when I looked it up to, to write about it, it um, it actually renews its retina every night. So wow. it builds new retina every night. Um, and I'm, maybe I shouldn't talk about this, but it also has a coiled penis, so it goes round in a spiral like a like a uh, cork. I saw I there was a fertilising organ that was coiled on another spider. In yeah, there and but the thing yeah. is that the female spider has the receptacle that receives this coiled penis in exactly the same shape as the. <laughs> That you know these tiny little little um, arachnids that that have this complexity that you that you don't even imagine is possible. And in our gardens, I mean, there's probably you know half a dozen spiders that might mm. be a problem well, for even, humans. Even and less. really, and yeah. really, they are not a problem. I yeah. can't tell you how many times I've picked up outdoor furniture in mm. gardens that I'm looking after, in fancy gardens, and there's a red back in every yeah. single oh, piece yes. of it. Yeah. Yes. We'd move it all, sweep underneath it, and then pop it back, back there, again. and you yeah. never would know yeah. they're there. No, so, exactly. You know. So most, most by, by far the majority of spiders in Australia, so 99.9% are harmless. Mm. And they're actually the most important generalist predators in our gardens mm. and in agriculture because they feed on the pests that yep. cause us problems. Mm. Um, and so you shouldn't be walking through spider webs. Mm. You should be leaving them if you possibly can. You shouldn't be squashing spiders. I don't even kill spiders inside. If I don't like the look of them, I take them outside. Mm. I leave my huntsman and my daddy long legs because they actually eat silverfish. I don't mm. have a silverfish problem. I yes. don't have pest problems mm. inside. Mm. Um, they are just the most amazing things. And if you want to have a look at some pictures of them, this book has 1,300 photos of And they spiders. are totally beautiful, aren't they? They are just stunning. And, and um, it's been 10 years in the making. Mm. And I just think that the authors are extraordinary because it who, is such a passion. Who are the authors, Penny? It's we should acknowledge Robert, them. Robert White and Greg Anderson. I think Robert White is the writer and Greg Anderson is the photographer. photographer. Okay. But they have also used photographs from you know, spider enthusiasts yeah. from, from all over Australia. And they wrote the book because there was nothing in Australia that recognised our Australian spiders. Mm. Um, there was one for Singapore. There was one for New Zealand. There was, and they thought, we've got to do something about this. So I have put a picture of this up on the Facebook page. So if you want to have a look at it, it's it's published by CSIRO. So, you know, really good 
authority. Um, and I just think everyone should have a copy and you should take it with your magnifying glass or whatever and go and sit out in the garden and discover what spiders are in your garden. Take it with you when you go walking in the bush so that you can find or just take your mobile phone and take photographs and then come back and then come back and flip through it it is is amazing and you know this is this happens this happens with fungi this is happening with spiders Mm. it's happening with flies it's happening with anything we bother to actually stop and look at in this country is just a world of discovery because we've had a short time of scientific yeah record in that yep. traditional yep. sense and in, in yep. the middle of NAIDOC week we'd have to recognise that the uh, ecological knowledge of this country is some tens of thousands of years, years old, old. Absolutely. but this, this recorded history is, is, is so new that and you know we, we filmed with um, Brian the fly guy Brian Lessard the fly specialist who's mm. even just going through Collected flies in the Australia in the National Collection in Canberra is, re- is discovering species. You know? Yes. So yeah. Yes. yeah, just just such an exciting thing. And but yeah, the spiders so maligned, but so yeah. important. Yeah. As is everything, really. Yeah. 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 But I, look, I just it, this book really opened my eyes. I thought I was already a spider enthusiast, but I it just <laughs> it, it is it is just a remarkable book. So, so and, as arachnophobe, what's an enthusiast? I don't know, but I'm sure we could make something <laughs> <up>. <laughs> to make a word. <laughs> um, I've actually written about it for Organic Gardener website, so it, but it's not up yet. It'll probably go up tomorrow. So if you want to see a picture and find out a bit more about it, you can you can have a look on the um, organicgardener.com.au. Um, but yes, I think it's terrific. So. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. We're, so, am, we're amateur oh, everything's sorry, gardeners, forgot, aren't we? I also forgot to say that one yes. of my favourite photos is the lichen, the Australian lichen spider. That is extraordinary. And, Which so is, and again, is I've put this, sent this photo to our Facebook person so that oh. you can have a look. But you almost can't see the spider in amongst the lichen. And well, it's, it's almost so like a shadow superimposed yeah. over the lichen, yeah. isn't it? Mm. So, <coughs> you know, you, sometimes you have to look really hard to be able to actually see them. And yes. I just, I love that. I love lichens and I love the Australian lichen spider. <laughs> I'm going to look everywhere I look all, at lichen because we lichens. still look at lichen yeah. a lot at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we have a board full of um, of calls which we must get to. Oh, so, um, yes, Roger's ringing. Yes, oh, Roger's oh, we're ringing in trouble. Well. <laughs> <laughs> he has to leave soon. So, okay, we'll go first up to uh, to Roger. Good morning, Rog. Great, Pam. Anyway, wonderful to hear you talking about spiders. Good. Yeah. That, that's, that's really good and that is a fantastic book. It's just a wonderful book so, to learn all about those wonderful things we have around us. Good on you, Rog. So many. Yeah. Now, coppicing. Um, yeah, look, I was just yeah, ringing up. I, both of those eucalypts, eucalyptus cinerea and eucalyptus crenulata, uh, of the two, the crenulata would respond best. To cl- mm-hmm. With the cinerea, I'm, I'm not too sure what size the trees were, but um, I'd try little by little with cinerea. You know, if, if it's fairly young, um, it'll be okay. But if it's a really old established tree, um, sometimes they do respond well, other times they don't. Hmm. I think so they were they were as yet to be planted, so oh, oh, they could sorry, start sorry. start at a young young age and and just sort of try and keep that foliage. Oh, look, that that'll be fine. Yeah, mm. and the interesting thing, Roger, was they were they were keen to plant a garden for dyes, and so yeah, many of yeah, the well, eucalypts are fantastic for dyes. Yeah. yeah. Dying. So um, that was the that was the purpose. So you could just they'd be I imagine they'd be harvesting those leaves relatively yep. regularly and keeping mm. it um, sort of tip pruned that way. Yeah. Yeah. Look, no, look, they'll be fine if they're just young plants, and you can make them multi trunked. Yeah. 
Mm. Yes. All right. Good. Okay. Good on you. Thanks, Thanks Roger. Roger. Bye. Bye. All right, next up we're going to uh, Vic in Maribyrnong. Good morning, Vic. Oh, good morning. Listen, what I'd like to know is, I'll just get away from the radio. Yes, or turn it off, Vic. No, no, I'm getting away from it. Okay. Anyway, I, uh, what I'd like to know, what happens to all those millions of tonnes of topsoil that gets scraped off the ground before building takes place? Oh, look, it varies depending on the on the on the site that you're talking about. Um, well, it doesn't matter what site you go to, whether you go to farmland or whether you go to a single block. It happens everywhere. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm saying that, but it, what happens to it varies depending on what the. Where the hell do they take it? They generally they'll take it to sites where they where they're looking for fill. Yep. Um, there will also be, you know, some more careful builders who will actually look for the for correct sites to. Um, to drop the to drop the soil off at so people who are looking for topsoil and if it's um sorry we're still getting your radio feeding back there Vic but if um hang on, hang on, if it's hang on, just, hang on just give us a sec to get this thing off yes just turn yeah, it, it off it's very confusing but um I, I think too uh, some it's my phone on uh, on on speaker okay. some um some soil is really valuable I I know a friend of mine was building a a vegetable garden in in the in the ranges know, and managed to get I, some uh, some you know Trentham so topsoil there's yeah, just so yeah. much of it and it just disappears. No, it doesn't disappear. It also goes to soil companies, so mm. companies that actually make soil, um, you know, for sites and, and, you know, where you buy buy soil from. So it all gets, it doesn't disappear. It all gets recycled in one form or the other. But what I can't understand is, I, I can't understand their reason for scraping it off in the first place. Oh, I don't know. I've never built a house. <laughs> You'd have you to ask, but sometimes house. they pile Look. it up when they need to as well, Look. so... The, the depth of it really isn't all that great, so it shouldn't matter to the building site whether it stays or goes. Oh, I'm it not sure, but stay. I mean, I, I think that um, certainly I, I wouldn't let any of my topsoil be taken away. I'd be asking for it to be pushed into a corner, really, or, or piled up somewhere so it you can use it later. It moved, yeah. is what I'm saying. Yeah, sure. well, in, in some cases that's to... certainly true, but I know in a block of flats that's going to be built near... Um, where my friend lives, um, they are putting underground car parks over the whole block, so they have yeah. to take it all away. Mm. Um, I'm, what I'm trying to figure out is what idiot thought up that idea in the first place? Oh, I think it's probably just habit, Vic, but you'd have to ask a structural engineer, not us. Yeah, well, no, <laughs> We're they'll, only, they'll, they'll only give you a reason why it goes, an unacceptable reason. But as for, as for where it all, with so much of it goes, I just... Yeah, I think oh, there's a big, there's big, a huge industry movements. that yeah. buys the topsoil and recycles it back into gardens. So oh, I wouldn't oh, worry oh, about oh, too much about what happens to it, but I agree that um, so sometimes it's, it's oh, unnecessary oh, to take it off. Mm. Yeah, mm. so it's got no relevance to the building. All it is is about dollars. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you need to open your eyes and look in it because you're in the gardening game. Yeah, well, I think, I think we've more. sort of given you a few um, yeah. sort of solutions. Yeah, I know, but it's not it, just for me, it's for everybody. Yeah, no, I understand. No, no, we, we understand. Go, they destroy the whole area in, in... Anywhere they build, they just totally destroy that area. You know what I mean? You might as well put concrete and uh, tar all over it, and that's it. Well, sometimes they do, but, but certainly... Um, Certainly, it's not just getting dumped somewhere, Vic. Yeah. It's it is getting recycled. 
Yeah, yeah. Mm. I know where you're coming from. Go and go and do some gardening, Vic. It'll make you feel better about the situation, I reckon. Uh, The wind's blowing too strong. I'll get out there. Go on, toughen up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Cold breeze. Thanks for ringing. Okay. Thanks for your call, Vic. Bye. It is. I mean, I, I feel Vic's frustration there that that you know when you see what's left after a build build happens mm. that you know and and coming back to and that the, site that we've been talking yeah. about in Thornbury, yeah. it it's a lot of work to rebuild your soil and, and you sort right. of think, gosh, if you just push that soil aside and and then you know relate yeah. it and you know and I want them to leave the trees as well. Oh know? yeah, I want yeah, them exactly. to leave the trees cut down. Build I, around I don't the want tree. them to build yeah. it all, but you know, yeah. it's, you know yeah. it, life is life is tricky. But uh, I mean, I think. Um, you know, certainly with revegetation projects, um, you know, and I'd seen with goldmine, the goldmine work in Bendigo, that that was one of the methods that they developed was actually just to scrape off the topsoil um, and, and, you know, in some cases retain it where they wanted to try and re-establish um, particular mm. species afterwards um, and in other cases not re- put it back because it was obviously, it was often full of weeds and, and nutrients. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, soil is, it is a precious thing and it takes thousands of mm. years to make. Mm. Um, you can buy it, but it's never as good as the stuff you make. That's yeah. the thing. If you get it delivered in a truck, it is never going to be as good, you know, as, yeah, as good as the stuff right. that you build over time. Exactly. Out of your own soil. So, exactly. Um, yep. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to our next caller. We have uh, Pam in Bentley. Good morning, Pam. Oh, good morning. Um, I have a couple of questions. One is I was down in the Botanical Gardens and killed at Christmas and I saw the most beautiful rose and wrote the name down, but I'm having trouble buying it. It's called Brigadoon. Do you know, I think I've heard of Brigadoon, which means it must come through the yeah. retail nurseries a bit. Mm. Um, but, of course, I would suggest you give Graham and Diana Sargent a ring. Um, yeah. And Pam probably has that number, but I can if Google I get... it up before the end of the show um, regardless. But I'd give them a ring and they'll tell you right away whether... And the, now yeah. is the time to do it because Where obviously... are they? Um, uh, they're in Clonbernane, which is uh, right near Kilmore. So just oh, north oh, of the yes, city, but but they also do um, they do you know this time of the year you'll get um, you'll get roses mail order so yeah. you could order yeah. it and they'll send it to you in a bag. Yeah. Um, yeah. And do you, you want a phone number? Have their number? Yes, please. Yeah, just see if I can look that up. Pam, have you got it? Or um, I do have one number which I'll give out. Yep. Um, I'm just wondering whether this is their old number though. Um, Oh, I've got it. Here we You've go. You've got it. You've got yep. it. So it's um it's a Victorian number. So zero three five seven eight seven one one two three. Yep, that's the one I've got too. And um yeah, give them a ring, and I'm sure yep. they will uh, they'll be able to let you yep. know how available it is or where five, you can get it. Five seven eight seven one one two three. Oh, good. Yes. Now the other quick question: We've moved into a new uh, dual occupancy unit. And there's a garden out the front that the landscapers put in, you know, to sell the properties. Uh, And it's about eight metres by perhaps four metres. They put in ten corriers. This is, um, we moved in at Christmas. One by one they've died. I'm down to the last one. Mm. And what they did, they sort of just took them out of the pot and dumped them in the Mm. ground and and then put all this black tan bark on top. Mm. Um, They put a lot of grasses in as well. Well, they're surviving and um, some nandinas are surviving. But the corriers, the whole, well, the last one's looking pretty sick at the moment. So I think the whole lot 
will be gone. That's ten of them. Mm. Mm. Well, it sounds. I mean, might be might be a bit heavy. You know, in in the soil could have dried out, could have been too wet, could have just been terrible prep. But I'd I'd have a little look at the soil and do a bit of work mm. on it before you start replanting. Yes. Um, and now's a great time to do that. Yeah. So um, um, have a, have a uh, scrape that mulch back. I'd. They're so hardy, um, those corias. Yeah, it depends surprised. a bit on the corias. So some are hardier than others. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And some yeah. some like a quite a sheltered spot. Yep. Others like to be exposed and quite dry. Yep. Dry. So, um, have yeah. You, but have you got a label? Did they leave any labels on the plants? Oh uh, no, there's a little common one with the bell on them. No, there's no labels on anything. Okay. But uh, it's just that I've I've planted those in another property and they've grown like you know, yeah. two metres yes. by two metres. And um, these little things, poor, these have all died. Mm. Yeah, have a little yeah. dig around. They might be sitting yeah. in puddles or, or um, might be yeah. dry as chips. Or maybe they didn't tease out the roots and the roots are going round in a circle. I Most mean, likely yeah. the soil is just, a, you know, I, we've yeah. just, just been Probably clay soil. Probably it's probably nothing to do with the black mulch, would it? Oh, oh no. 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 I, the no. only thing that it might have done, um, it, because we had a pretty dry summer, was just increase the heat of the soil, mm. which might yeah. have been enough to, to um, kill them. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and look, just quickly, can you tell me, is there a red magnolia that I could buy to put in the centre of that garden? I want something that's really stunning. Red flowered? Uh, yes. There's um there's some that are sort of almost red in that kind of rich really ruby deep, deep pink. um some of the really dark ones. red one I saw in the garden once and it looks so beautiful yeah look um definitely a great time to go and look for them because the nurseries will often have a lot as they come into flower um, right. there's one called Vulcan which is sort of like a pinky red um but this again was a, this was quite a bright a bright brilliant scarlet colour. It was just stunning yeah. to see. I would, mm. I would go looking now and go to a really good quality nursery, but make sure you do a bit of work on your soil before you plant. It sounds like you've yes, probably I'll got be, that scraped. Yeah, um, so be, yes, what you were talking I about I would take before. that mulch off if I were you and, and give it to someone else <laughs> and replace <laughs> it with some organic matter and, um, and just be... Well, I keep, I keep thinking that each time I see another Coria die. Yeah, <laughs> look, it, just, it, it is um, not to oh. say that all, all um, sort of landscapers that work in, in that sort of building um, oh, follow up but yeah. a lot of times they are very very basic gardens where you have very little attention and if I you know. want to create a lovely garden I would be um, I'd I become do. a soil farmer for the next few months yes, yes. it all well, comes I back to your been, soil I have been putting all the mulch and the leaves in, great. The, in, in one hole I pulled a tree out of <laughs> yes great well thank you so much for your help um, okay. Bye. I'll go to the nursery today. Bye-bye. Perfect. And just on the magnolias, to another another great place. It's probably just still a tiny bit early for them. They'll they'll really start blooming in a, in a couple of weeks. But the National Rhododendron Garden in the Dandenongs mm. has a fantastic collection of magnolias if you yep. just want to go and have, go a, and look. have a look. Yes. Yep. Um, and obviously all their roadies and things start to fire up. Mm. But um, the, the magnolia collection there is, is really fantastic and mm. um, um, can see things... As large trees as well, mm. which which is hard yep. to do at yep. times. We've just about run out of time. We do very quickly need to answer a couple of qu- queries. Um, firstly, a listener wants to know the name of the spider book again, please. It's called A Field Guide to Spiders of Australia. It's by Robert White and Greg Anderson, and it's a CSIRO publication. 
Fantastic. And the other question. Um, another listener has five cuttings of salvia timboon in one pot. Should she separate those to plant them out or plant them together? They have roots and a flowering. Yeah, look, I, I talked about these last time I was on. You absolutely have to separate them because they can get to two metres by two metres or bigger. Bump so, those flowers and, off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, yeah, so cut, you need to um, keep them well pruned if you don't have a lot of space for them as well. And if you don't have room for plants as big as that, give some to your friends. Pot them up and yes. give them to your friends as well because <laughs> it's a beautiful flower. It's gorgeous, but it's big. Well, we've run out of time for yet another week. Um, we will, of course, uh, be back again next week. A big thank you to, uh, to Penny Woodward and Millie Ross for um, being in the studio this morning and also to, uh, to Jan, who's been fielding all the uh, phones this morning. We did speak earlier, too, with Helen Lovell, who was uh, Customer Relationship Manager at Neutrog Australia, talking about some of their community projects. Uh, but, as I say, we have run out of time. We will be back at uh, 7.30 again next week. So until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.